On today's episode nine, I'm joined by Chef Owen Wyatt, culinary director at Heston Smart Cooking in Napa, California. For the last several years, he, along with a team of engineers, culinary scientists, and culinary chefs, have created a unique video-guided cooking system that automatically monitors the time and temperature as you cook. Imagine cooking a recipe you've never made before and getting excellent results on the very first try, and then imagine being able to replicate it consistently every single time going forward. Or perhaps you just want to take the guesswork out of when your dry-aged steak hits that perfect medium-rare temperature without fail. Technology aside, Owen Wyatt knows good food and how to create recipes that work, having trained with the finest, including having worked for Thomas Keller's restaurant group before landing at Heston Smart Cooking. These days, he's advancing the future of cooking with new technology that we'll all soon find in our own kitchens in the future. Owen, it's so great to see you again. Hey, Judy Ann. Thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. It's been too long. You know, I've missed you. You are you are in one of my all-time favorite co-workers list. I have many, and you're on the short list for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I would. I, I think the the feelings mutual. Definitely, I think we've had a lot of good times, eating a lot of good food together. So, I know. It's, uh, it's great to see you. Full 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 disclosure. I used to work with Owen. <laughs> such a treat we used to um let's see so we worked at yes in smart cooking i was marketing director so funny and i came in and fly in to napa and got to hang out with the crew you know the kitchen the culinary team and you were always like my main guy that you had every answer to every question i had you were working on these projects um and how's it going there i've been watching you i've been watching all the recipes you've been developing yeah, yeah. Um, things have been really good. You know, it's kind of, if there was any silver lining to 2020, it was people started kind of cooking at home again. So, you know, naturally the Heston Q is a great tool to kind of educate and, you know, help people be successful in the kitchen. So it, you know, really kind of started to turn things around for us and, you know, things are going really well. Yeah, let's talk about that. The pandemic, everybody started cooking again, and people were really into like cooking things that they've never cooked before. You know, like everyone did the sourdoughs and da da da. And after a while, they then they started getting like super gourmet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Making spaghetti and meatballs, and now they got to up up their uh, culinary game because they got to post it on Instagram and tell everybody what they've learned. You saw right. enough people like wanting to learn how to cook. Yeah, it's um, you know, just kind of the the engagement that we've seen with the the product over the last year, um, mainly kind of, we have like the two parts of our business. So mm -hmm. the one is kind of what we sell directly to consumers. So it's kind of the smart cooking system, um, basically allowing people to cook with precise temperature control. Um, and so on top of that, we have like the guided recipes. So basically it walks you through a whole recipe and automatically just time and temperature. Mm -hmm. So we saw a ton of kind of grab people kind of moving towards that. Um, you know, and, and just making people successful in the kitchen and giving them the confidence to, to get in there. And it can be anything from pancakes to, you know, pan seared scalps, but just making sure that we're providing and empowering people with the, the tools to, to be successful. Right. Well, let's go back and let's tell people, like, for those who don't know, I mean, it's it's almost like I remember when I used to tell the story about what Heston Q is, you know, and people wouldn't believe it because it's so like sounds George Jetson. 
because it sounds like something you would do in the future, but it's actually happening now. And then they don't really seem to understand really what it can do until they cook on it themselves. And then they have that moment, right? So explain the the different parts and how they work together for somebody who totally doesn't know what it is, what it is. Yeah, for sure. So basically what we've done is created uh, kind of this whole connected cooking experience and it's, you know, comprised of three parts. So you have our cookware, which what we've done is kind of em embedded temperature sensors into the base of the cookware. And that temperature from the pan is communicated to both the app and the cooktop. And so essentially through the app, which is kind of like the, the brains of the operation, it tells the cooktop exactly how much to power up and power down. So we're able to cook with precise temperature control. So instead of language like low, medium, and high, it's, you know, we cook, at, you know, fryer eggs at 250 degrees. We might sear scallops at 450. Um, you know, if we're going to make a sauce, we might do that at 205 degrees. So it just really kind of gives you this whole other level of consistency and, and precision that you see in a lot of other places in the kitchen now, right? Like you have something like a Thermomix where, like it's a blender that's cooking with precise temperature. You have the oven, which, you know, a long time ago, the only way you could tell if your oven was at the right temperature was by throwing a piece of bread in there and seeing how it toasted. Um, <laughs> and so kind of a nightmare. So like you had to have all this experience just to be able to bake a cake. Um, now anybody can bake a cake. It's the directions are on the box. It's going to come out pretty much the same every time. And so we thought the stovetop was kind of one of the last frontiers that's been left alone. Um, and, you know, I work with a ton of really smart people, um, much, much smarter than myself. And they've, you know, come up with, you know, this technology and these tools to allow us to, to get people to a whole different level of cooking. Um, so if you wanted to cook pan seared scallops, for example. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to yeah. say, well, let's talk about that temperature thing, because I don't think people even it doesn't even occur to someone that, you know, your oven, your recipe says preheat the oven to 350, you know, put it in right. you know, like middle rack, whatever. And so until you put it in a, a eight inch cake pan, blah, blah, blah. They give you all these directions and stuff like that. When you're cooking on the stove, this is, you know, your stovetop, your range. It's basically like heat pan to medium. It's like, well, right. what is what is medium? <laughs> what is medium, right. medium hot? What's, you know, and they have to give all these kind of, uh, so you're essentially like giving them an, uh, a way because there's no there's no temperature read on the stove. And it's actually, you're, you're doing the temperature read, not just of the heat, but the the surface temperature too, because your pan, because you're controlling that as well. Another factor, because you know, obviously like a thin aluminum pan is going to heat differently than a thick cast iron pan. Mm -hmm. as far as temperature, but also like how quickly it heats up to the temperature that you want that surface to be. So you're monitoring that. And so it's communicating wirelessly, you know, Bluetooth, right? And it's yep. adjusting. So it knows, therefore, you're taking away that, that um, all those kind of factors that would essentially uh, derail a recipe, right? Exactly. So, you know, it's, I think the best way to kind of understand it is kind of like a feedback loop. Um, that's how I kind of describe it. So basically the pan is telling the, the app what temperature it's at. And then the app's telling the cooktop how much we need to power up or power down. So we're holding that exact temperature. And so, you know, to your point, like we have this whole other layer of kind of these guided recipes where if you want to go into the app and just set temperature, you know, you're a pretty um, avid cook and you know what you're doing, but you just want to have that consistency. You can go in there, set exact temperature. Or you can go in and select 
think we have over 600 recipes in the app now. Um, and all of those recipes have automatic time and temperature control. So it's kind of like paint by numbers to a degree. Um, you're still very much cooking. You just don't have to worry about timing and temperature. Um, mm -hmm. And we provide a lot of education throughout the app, whether it's knife skills, um, product knowledge, you know, whether it's vegetables, things like that. Um, so you're 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 kind of learning through osmosis. Um, it's not about just getting people from point A to point B, but it's like really making sure that we're giving them the skills and knowledge to to be successful in the future. Yeah, I mean, it really takes out a lot of the guesswork. There is, you know, there's a fair amount of guesswork, you know, when you're cooking, especially maybe something that you've never cooked before or an ingredient that you're not familiar with. I mean, one example that I always like to share is, oh, you know, you think you don't need it or whatever. But say you just plunk down like, you know, $200 for like a, a piece of meat, like a steak or something like that. And you're cooking it and, you know, you really you got one shot. <laughs> you want it like a perfect medium rare. And you could totally wing it, you know, <laughs> you could, right. or, or if you just want to guarantee that it's going to be perfect, like you could basically, you can say like how, how thick your steak is. It'll ask you like maybe how thick your steak is. If it's, is it tempered even? Cause that'll, you know, is it right out of the fridge or is it tempered or, and then like, um, and it'll control that. It'll tell you when to flip the steak, you know, tell, even tell you like how to rest it and then slice it. And you could cook a hundred steaks and it all come out exactly perfect. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of people are turned off to cooking um, because of the fear of failure. And like, not everybody has time maybe to go to culinary school or put in the whatever 10,000 reps it takes to get it to where you're pretty confident in what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, I think tools like the Heston Q is, is, a, is a perfect way to get people back in the kitchen, back to cooking you know, maybe not doing the takeout five or six days a week. Um, right. And I think, you know, one of the things that's amazing about cooking is like, it's allowing you to kind of do these small creations, which a lot of people now I think are super busy with their jobs and everything else. So you kind of miss that whole part um, of kind of just being a person. So I think it's kind of one of those fun ways that, you know, even to, to engage with your family. And if you have kids, like it's just a really fun way to spend time together. Right. Well, I absolutely love like uh, so Heston. So Heston cooking. They have this whole division of engineers. You know, <laughs> the brains, right? The brains behind the operation. Yeah. These guys are these guys. I say guys. They're guys. Guys and gals. Um, they're not. You know, some of them didn't grow up cooking. They obviously, you know, have uh, some interest in food. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't <clears throat> be in the company. But to see them. Uh, like execute these really nice dishes and they're so proud of it because it's not really like in their wheelhouse they're really good at other things but to be able to like you know cook a really impressive meal and stuff like that is you know it's it's a it's a good skill to have for sure yeah absolutely to totally agree and it's you know we learn things from them too right it kind of goes both ways <laughs> up until this job like i was not the most computer savvy person but you know those guys have kind of turned chefs into programmers to a degree and yeah. we've kind of turned them into better home cooks um, right. to some degree. And all that food science that goes into it too. I mean, I remember people talk about test kitchens and things, you know, I've visited many test kitchens and I'd have to say like the way that you guys test recipes is that's like thorough recipe testing because you are taking temperatures, you're, you're actually timing to the second, you're taking not just the food temperature, the surface temperature. The, I mean, you guys are measuring out so and taking right. away all those factors in order to basically write software 
that would eliminate as many variables and and also controlling it because you're controlling the the heating, the, the heat source, the cooking surface, the cooking vessel, the time, the temperature, all these things, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, the, the, the nice thing is like they kind of, what's that? It sounds crazy. Like it, when people think about that, the thing about it is if you were to just do it and not think about it, you don't have to really think about what went into it. I think about mm -hmm. what went into it, but obviously, but if you were just someone who would just gift, gift this to you, like I actually gifted this to somebody who, um, who uses it all the time and tells me all the time what they made with it and loves the results because a, they love the recipes. You know, I said, that's Owen, you know, <laughs> he's got exceptional taste, but just that the fact that they always have success and it's really um, encouraged their children to like cooking too, because they can cook, they can fall, you know, kids are so natural at like looking at, um, you know, an app and being guided and seeing video, like they're totally into it. It's almost like a video game. Like they're, they're way into it. And then they're super happy to be able to contribute like a meal, family meal that their parents are like blown away that they cooked. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I think that's kind of the key to it is it should be somewhat seamless. Like we don't want people to think about surface moisture and surface <laughs> area and like, you know, ambient temperature, all these different things. Like we, that's not the the point. And even like the, the precise temperature control, you know, we use that as a lever to, to get people the results they want. Like, you know, there's the geeks like myself and our culinary science team where like we can go down that rabbit hole forever. Right. Um, but we do kind of know that, you know, most people don't care about that. They just care about the result. And right. so having this technology has, you know, allowed us to provide people with the results that they're looking for. And, you know, when people reach out to us and they want to kind of geek out and know what, how we're getting to where we're getting, we're happy to talk about that. And Julian Weisner, who's our, our culinary scientist, I mean, he, he, he will go into, you know, depth oh, about everything that we're doing. Julian is so like, I can just, it's so fun to ask him, like, why is this question? Like, why is it that when I do this, this happens and you'll get this huge explanation. He's <laughs> the science guy for food, right? You know, he's so fun. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, his background's in physics. He's, you know, he's fairly young guy and just, you know, he loves, loves to learn, loves to explore and kind of discover. And so this has been kind of really amazing opportunity for him and for us, you know, to work, work with a culinary science guy on right. a daily basis. And same with the engineering, like you just kind of learn so much all the yeah. time. So on it's a, side a lot bar. of fun. On a sidebar, I got to go to NASA with Julian. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. We were there for some, I don't know, trade show, whatever. I don't remember anymore. But we were like, we had like a, a few hours. We almost missed our flight home because we we're like, let's go to NASA. Let's do it. <laughs> and it was, it was your ever, right. you're ever going to go to NASA, go with like somebody, like a physicist, because yeah. it's a whole nother experience. You know? <laughs> but I forgot a, about that. It was so fun, but at the same time, I, I think the best kombucha I ever had was at the was at the um, was at your your test kitchen. He was making kombucha for the team right on the yeah. side, and yeah, it was yeah. so delicious. <laughs> so I yeah, mean, he's he's always got experiments going on like that. It's uh, it's right. generally pretty generally pretty tasty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys all have um, great taste and that's part of the, you know, I, I think everyone who knows me always knows how skeptical I am of recipes sometimes, but um, the Heston Q recipes are quite delicious and it's because of your background. I mean, you, 
I mean, you have a excellent pedigree having worked at some of, you know, the great restaurants. With, obviously, you've worked with Thomas Keller, you know, the grand poobah of all the chefs. Right. And um, like, I think you bring that kind of precision and that. But at the same time, what I love so much about you is like you love all the stuff, like all the good eats, like all the stuff that I like to eat, you know, so sure. it's like eyebrow, lowbrow, like, you know, we, I remember when we used to travel, we'd be like, where are we going to eat? Right. Yeah. Like, we got to go to some fine dining place, like totally check out the scene. And then also just eat like what, whatever's new and popular. And I always, I always try to impart this into people, like wherever I work, when we work in the food, we work in the food industry, we got to right. eat. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We want to try yeah. to, we to eat dinner. Where are we going to eat dinner, right? Make the reservation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we've went to a Waffle House together. We've had, you know, hot brown in, in Kentucky, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. We had, so Owen and I, we were in, um, we had, he had not, you had not had that Kentucky hot brown, right? We were there, and it's a classic dish. And, of course, it's like you eat it, and then you have to take a nap. But we, but we were like, when in Rome, you know, <laughs> we got the Kentucky hot, hot brown and, it, you know, we the, check it off your list, right? If you're going to have that, have a mint julep. And these are kind of things that I, that yep. I appreciate about people who are food people is like, you know, if you were, if you're in any other profession, people would totally feel, you know, like that's your research, that's your craft, that's what you should know, your history, right? And in food, it just seems so indulgent, but it's not, it's like, this is what we do. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because, you know, I, I've been asked before, especially like when I was still in the restaurant, like I was getting a haircut and the guy was like, it was a really strange question to begin with, but he asked me what my hobbies were. Oh. And I was like, cooking and eating, like that's kind of <laughs> everything I, everything kind of boils down to that. Like I'm looking to eat really good food, regardless if it's like, you know, a Michelin star restaurant or if it's you know, something from a taco truck, like good food's right. good food. And yeah. it's so fun to kind of explore that and then try to replicate that sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to replicate it because you just want it to be special and like, you know, right. you can only get it at that one place. So yeah, okay. it's, it's uh, being in the culinary industries. I think it's kind of like nothing else out there, right? Like accountants don't go home and just start cracking <laughs> on numbers, right? Numbers just for fun, you know, or maybe yeah, they exactly. But that's why that's why I don't like maybe <laughs> right food people are way more interesting but you've been cooking like pretty much your whole life right you've been yeah so right tell us how you got started and how you got inspired to be who you are yeah uh you know it's a lot of people and I'm always skeptical of this when they're like well I started when I was eight like I think you get inspired and you get influenced when you're a kid um for me it was kind of two things I had an aunt that I would stay with quite a bit and to kind of keep me busy because I was like six, seven years old and you just have all that energy. She'd just take me in the kitchen and we'd either like bake something or she'd show me how to make like an omelet or crepes or just kind of give me a little knife and, you know, prep vegetables. Uh -huh. um, and, and the other thing for sure was Graham Kerr. So oh, he's yeah. uh, the... I don't know if people remember him, but the Galloping Gourmet. I watched that show. I'm an old lady. I, well, I, I don't know how you watched it. It was you must have saw the reruns. <laughs> so Yeah, I was probably five or six when I remember like first seeing him. Um, and it was like, you know, before everybody had cable. So I remember how much fun he had. And I think he probably drank a little bit, on it seemed. 
Um, but he always, always had a ton of fun. He'd like feed the crowd and you don't really see that anymore in cooking shows. Um, so I just always thought that was, it, it just seemed like he was having a great time. Um, and then kind of when I got, got older and got into high school and I was kind of done with sports and stuff like that, I need to get a job because I wanted to make some money. And so I got a job as a busboy. Um, and that's kind of when I, I've like really fell in love with restaurants and mainly it wasn't, it was kind of the job and like the, the day to day, but like the people were just I, I, cool. Like everybody was just really cool. Um, not like normal people. Cause you're always working when everybody else is having fun. So right. just the personalities and kind of how everybody engaged with each other, like kind of a rougher crowd, but also I felt like everybody, there was a lot of really wise people. Right. I mean, the manager slash bartender like if you broke up with a girl or she broke up with you like he was the first guy to like here's a cd you need to listen to this like <laughs> kind of this whole thing so um and just felt connected right on these personalities and they everyone looks after themselves i mean everyone looks after each other because when you're in a restaurant like you're in you're working in close proximity and you know it's you get to know each other really fast i think in restaurants <laughs> Yeah, you get, you know, some of the my best friends are people that I've, I've met in the restaurant industry. And I mean, one of my buddies I work with at Bouchon, I married him and his wife. Like, it's just kind of a, and to your point, like it's, you're spending a lot of time together, you know, 14, 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the only people that, what's that? You said like, oh, Reverend Owen, <laughs> like yeah, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm are you ordained? <laughs> I, I am ordained, and it sounds um, more exciting than it is. It took like 15 minutes before. Oh. Yeah, it was very quick. You can do it online, and I think it costs like 15 bucks. Oh, um, my goodness. That so, is great. That's so awesome. It's like you can uh, marry someone, and you could cook them dinner. <laughs> it's um, kind of the whole package when it comes to weddings. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you same here like people i spent time with in the early years in the kitchen i'm still in touch with and it's you know it's it's like a especially when you're doing it early on your life because you're just kind of you're kind of discovering who you are trying to figure out what you want to do in life and they're in the same position too and you 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 remember that special time in your life where it's like crossroads like turning point like you can either go this way or that way like i i mean you were telling me like how you just you grew up in a I think it's a small town. Is it a small town? I don't know. I think it's it, a small it, it was a small town. It's gotten bigger. I mean, relative to cities, it's it's fairly small. But yeah, I would say it's a smaller town. Visalia. Visalia, yeah, Visalia. So central, California. central Where, California. Where's I near? So it's right between Bakersfield and Fresno. Yeah, that's um, yeah, it gets really hot. And there's lots of dairies, so it's got all that going on. Yeah, I know Bakersfield because I was there at the Hagen Dazs factory. So that's 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 my orientation is all those cows. And Perfect. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You went from there, and then you know, obviously you, um, but you went to Hawaii. What was that like? You were cooking in Hawaii. I mean, basically, like when somebody wants to like escape life, they're like, I'm moving to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was basically it. Um, to be honest, I I graduated from college so i went to chico state uh-huh. and i you know i actually started cooking when i was in college um i'd moved from being like the bus boy to like start out as a dishwasher mm-hmm. and kind of did that all the way through college 
and my interest just naturally grew. Like I became way more focused on working at the restaurant than I was. I was a big fan of C's get degrees. I think that would probably be the most accurate way to put it. <laughs> and so kind of after graduating, like I, you know, moved back home for a few months and I knew that like sitting in an office wasn't going to do it for me. And so not knowing what to do, I just kind of packed up my stuff and, and moved out to Hawaii. And I was there about a week and like I, I thought I could get into restaurant management, but it's really competitive in Hawaii. And I was also really young. So uh -huh. just, there was no way it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so a, a friend that I made there got me an interview at a local Hawaiian cafe. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I came in, I had like a really nice Hawaiian shirt and <laughs> oh, look like Jan, a <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it was bad. I had like leather shoes on yeah. and, uh, I walked in and she was like, you know, come with me. Can you flip an egg? And at that point, like I'd never really flipped eggs i'd been cooking mexican food for the last four years so uh somehow i was able to string together like three or four eggs in a row and she was like yeah you can start tomorrow and so i started you know the next day and i was there for about a year and a half um, doing kind of the sh <laughs> yep yeah it was it's a it's a really popular place there um, called hawaiian style cafe and uh -huh. it's yeah it's all the the local eats so Loco Moco and Lao Lao, all that stuff is happening there. Oxtail stew um, and well, I, busy. I love Hawaiian food. So that's why I was like, you know, I could get into that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. why, so you went from Hawaiian and then, you know, ultimately you ended up at CIA, New York City, right? Mm -hmm. Like yep. all you, you like me, like were never lived on the East Coast until you were there. Like you're like, I'm going to live there. And then you're like, you're not there until you're there. <laughs> what was that yeah. like? Yeah, I was slight, slightly terrified. Like I'd grown up in a small town. I went to a college in a fairly small town. The place I lived at in Hawaii was really small. I think there's like 2,000 people that lived there. Um, and so, and I didn't really know where Hyde Park was in relation to the city. So like I wasn't really sure what I was walking into. And I was pretty nervous and I moved there in the dead of winter. So yeah. it was like January. I think it was negative four the first night I got there. And I just I had all kinds of concerns. I was thinking, you know what? This is not, not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be great. I made, I made some really good friends. I met my fiance there. Um, so, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Well, it worked out because, you know, look at you now. You know, you live in Napa. Where Are you living in Napa? Or where are you? Are you living? No, I'm in still I'm still living in Napa. Yeah, we like it here, except yeah. for the except for the fires. Um, it's yeah. a pretty pretty good place to be. All right. Well, so it's fancy there, Owen. <laughs> so it, it it is fancy in some places. Um, you know, we we moved out here originally just for for work and going to work for Thomas and. Mm -hmm. um, which was great, and kind of after leaving the the restaurant group. I kind of got pulled into this um, right right away. So we've just kind of stu been stuck here and we're, we're happy with it. I, that was my favorite part of um, working with you all. It was um, going to Napa. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was like a little mini vacation because it was always so nice. Right. And, you know, there was, there was always great food. And then you're always shooting these videos, which is always so amusing to me because you're so, um, for anybody of you hang around Owen, he's so uh, easygoing and approachable. And then you put him, like, then we have, then you like put 
cameras, makeup, whatever. <laughs> then you then you have to shoot these videos. I mean, how is that? Like you're obviously trained to cook, and you know you're a natural instructor, but like you had to become like a a, a video guy. You had to be good on camera. How was that? Was a whole new skill set you had to learn, right? Yeah, it's still it's still <laughs> in process. Like I, you know, it's you're never quite comfortable listening to your own voice. I think it's the, the weirdest thing. Um, and just being in front of like cameras and, you know, we've gotten a, 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 in a much better place with our, our video production. But when we first started, we had like a whole camera crew and yeah. I'd been in the back of the house at a, in a restaurant for my whole adult life. So talking in front of people was not something I was ready to do. Um, so I, I would be, you know, there may or may have not been a little bit of bourbon in the early mornings to try to get me to loosen up. Uh, but we're, we're at a much better place now and things, you know, it's just, it's about getting those repetitions in and, and just doing it. So I think we're, you know, around, we've videoed probably 650, 700 recipes. And so yeah. just kind of, you know, I'm not in all of those, but I'm in a lot. And so just getting used to that and then, you know, doing demos and do, going to places like, Portland and doing the whole feast food and wine festival. Yeah. I think we did, you know, when, when we worked on that together, a million crepes. <laughs> yeah, that was insane. It was like 800 crepe demos in two days, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot it of fun. So much fun. Yeah. I, and I think about like all the cooking. So, I mean, when people, they see you do the videos for sure, but like you, like you really are good at troubleshooting like recipes. Like let's talk about the fried chicken because you've made so many different types of fried chicken for the app also, mm -hmm. but generally like we've talked, we've waxed poetic about fried chicken. Um, sure. And then I saw you recently you introduced a temperature probe that can you, you know, take the temperature internal temperature while you're also controlling the temperature of the grease and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, Frying, let's face it, is scary to a lot of people, a lot of home cooks anyway. You know, they just, it's a lot of oil, it's hot. They don't, you know, yeah. I don't know how many people have eaten like where it's the outside is completely brown and the inside is like still raw. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, yeah. what are you looking for in a good fried chicken? So, there's kind of like, I love fried chicken, like kind of all, all shapes and sizes. Um, you know, some people kind of like, you know, basically it's just a light coating of flour. So it's, you know, have this light crunch on the outside and you have the really moist chicken. I tend to lean towards like the really thick crust, you know, like the double dredge of buttermilk and flour. Me too. I like that crackle on the outside. Yeah. And honestly, the chicken just acts as kind of a vessel for the, the crispy part. Like, yeah, uh, you know, and, and the chicken's ultra moist, but, um, yeah, I totally get why people are, are scared to to do things like fry at home. And there's also kind of like, what do you do with the oil afterwards? Like, it's kind of can be a mess. That's true. Um, but I think what do you do with I, you know, I do all yeah, sorts of things. But what do you do? What do you do personally? Oh, and with the oil? Yeah, you... it, it depends. So, like, if I was doing donuts, mm -hmm. I'll just strain the oil and save it for another time. If I'm doing something like fried chicken. I might strain it and refrigerate the oil for a while and I can keep it for a, a good amount of time if I want to go back and fry again um, mm -hmm. is what I like to do. And, you know, the other thing is you don't have to use a ton of oil to, to do most frying. And I think that's one thing is people get like the countertop fryer unit where it's like you, you have to use three quarts. Like the right. nice thing with kind of with the cue and the probe is, you know, we use like one and a half quarts. So it's six mm -hmm. cups. It's not that much oil. Um, yeah. 
I shallow yeah. fry my stuff too. But yeah, yeah you're, exactly. you're in the recent. I saw a video of you uh, demoing with sound. The new, the yeah. recent fried chicken is crunchy and it looks yes. good. <laughs> yeah, the the goal there is to get like we want to make the crispiest, crunchiest chicken that we could. Um, that's also really easy to make. Um, and so kind of getting that double dredge and making sure that you kind of, you know, get that chicken right into the fryer after you put it in the flour mm -hmm. seems to do the trick. Um, we've tried lots of different things, curing it in flour and, mm -hmm. you know, unwrapped in the fridge and all that. But I don't think most people have the time to do all that. So I think that what we came up with was pretty good. So what are your tips? Like, let's just say they don't have the cue. Like if you're just making fried chicken the old fashioned way, I mean, mm -hmm. granted, they're not going to have the correct temperature and time, whatever, but say they're just making it at home. Like, um, you, are you proponent for like, um, brining the chicken? Um, do you air dry the chicken? Like there's all these things that you, you mentioned double dredging. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I think like, I'm a big fan of buttermilk when it comes to fried chicken. And honestly, if you can kind of let your chicken marinate in the buttermilk overnight and you can put all kinds of stuff in the, the buttermilk as far as flavoring. So it can be hot sauce and herbs and spices. Um, mm -hmm. but that buttermilk is just acidic enough to kind of tenderize the chicken overnight, um, and help kind of keep it moist. Um, so that's kind of the, the first thing. And you can also to brine it and do that as well. Um, and then the, the second part of that is making sure that you're really getting it to a nice, nice coating of the flour. Um, so I use a good amount of flour, um, just because I want to fill in all of those little nooks and crannies. So mm -hmm. you get a crispy bite every time. Um, and that's kind of my thing. And then as far as the, the oil temperature, you know, as your chicken gets bigger, your oil temperature needs to go down, but mm -hmm. there's kind of a floor there, right? So generally I don't go below 300 degrees. Mm -hmm. um, so if I was doing like a whole thigh, whole legs, uh, even the breast, mm -hmm. 300 degrees is kind of that, that money spot where the internal chicken is actually cooking while you're also developing the crust on the outside. Because um, a lot of the times I think, and I've seen this a lot, is people put in the oil's too hot and you get this really golden brown crispiness on the outside and then the inside's raw. And so then they finish it in the oven. Um, where it's just, if you can get that perfect temperature up, 300 degrees, you're pretty good. And then if you do something that's smaller, like maybe you want to make chicken nuggets or whatever, you're doing really small pieces, so then your temperature needs to go up. So you're you're cooking the inside and browning the outside at the same rate. Got it. I mean, I think a lot of recipes you see them say to heat the oil to like, what, 350, 375. And you're saying that's probably too high for like a bigger piece of chicken because you're, the outside is essentially getting too brown before the inside really has a chance to cook through. Exactly. Exactly. And there's there's a lot of ways to kind of hack around the all of that. You know, a lot of people like to sous vide the chicken and then just spread it and throw it in there. It's totally fine if you've got time to, to sous vide it. Um, that's, that's definitely a workaround. But yeah. I just like to do traditional fried chicken. I think it turns out really great. And what I think most people miss about frying, and especially like something like chicken or fried fish, you're actually steaming whatever you're frying. So mm -hmm. while you're browning the outside, the inside is kind of steaming inside the shell of the crust or whatever the flour that you've dredged it in so you get this ultra moist chicken or ultra moist fish when you're, you're doing that got it and very important to season as it comes out when it's still hot right? 
Yes, absolutely. So just a little bit of salt kind of gives you that, enhances all of that flavor. Um, and even something that's kind of cool is like one of the recipes that we did with Sean Brock, we did his fried chicken, but he likes to put a lot of aromatics in the fryer oil. He even puts like bacon fat and pieces of bacon in the fryer oil. So you're even bringing in some of those flavors as well. So there's kind of a, a, a lot of ways you can go about it, but um, you know, the basics are really just getting your temperature in making sure you've got it really nice and coated and then either brining or, or marinating and something like buttermilk to kind of add that flavor and help tenderize the meat. Right. Well, I know that I know I saw that Sean Brock recipe and it would, sounds just amazing. And I know he's just an amazing uh, cook and chef, but it seemed like a lot of work. And I was like, I, I got two, three days. I guess I'll make that chicken. But it sounds like yours is much simpler, but still very good results. So. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of we look at cooking through a little bit of a different lens. Like, you know, to be honest, when I started, um, Chef Phil Tessier, who's my predecessor and good friend and kind of mentored me for, for a long time. Um, we kind of had this whole mindset of like, we want people to cook like restaurant chefs all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's what our recipes reflected. And quickly we, we learned from both just like our software team, they're like, guys, nobody uses this much butter at home. Nobody has the time to like run you know, pears and prosciutto. Like, so we kind of had a reality check and, you know, I'm a much better home cook now than I was six years ago. You know, it's like I can enjoy, I used to not really enjoy cooking at home um, because you just don't have all the bells and whistles that you have in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. The kitchens, like you see a lot of chefs that way where they love cooking, you know, when they have all the stuff, but at home it's like, you know, they don't have somebody doing prep for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> they got to do all the prep themselves. They got to juice all that and pick all those little micro herbs, or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, nobody's, nobody's washing your dishes for you. There's, you don't have an endless supply of not even better, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have an endless supply of side towels and all this stuff. Right. So it's just at home, it's, it's a whole different game, but um, yeah, I think we, you know, when we work with like chefs from a restaurant and versus what we kind of normally do, it's, you know, we found kind of that happy place of, helping people elevate their, their cooking and the cuisine. And every once in a while we'll throw in kind of that baller style dish. that's like right. pretty crazy and takes time. Um, yeah. Whereas a, a restaurant chef is coming in very differently, right? Like if you want yeah. the best result, it's going to take time. Um, right. So we try to find that balance. Yeah. And I think that's totally fine because people do. Um, I mean, I go to a restaurant for a reason. Like I, I go to a restaurant, eat restaurant food. You know, I don't want to, even though you could, like, why would you spend that much time over several days cooking this one meal? Whereas they're doing it, they're doing prep over several days, but it's to, you know, produce like 200 of that dish and you got multiple people doing it. And, you know, and it's, and people go to have something that would be too labor intensive to make at home for like one meal. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think m most people just kind of all of the work that goes on inside of a, a kitchen it uh, just kind of goes over their head. Like they don't even think about it. Um, you know, if you're kind of at the higher level, you know, there might be one guy that's just peeling and turning carrots for 10 hours a day. Like that's all that dude does every day. Um, and so when you're eating that one carrot that's on your plate, the single carrot, you don't even think about, yeah, you don't even think of, about the fact that there's some kid in the back that's just like, <laughs> has arthritic hands because he's just constantly peeling carrots so 
it's uh yeah well i mean well i have to ask you because you know you are working very much in the future of food and cooking and stuff like that and i i always love um you know futurists when they talk about things that you might see in the future in mm -hmm. the future you will see you will ride in uh, driverless cars and you know like they, all that kind of stuff like for you as a few i i think of you owen wyatt as a futurist in cooking what do you see like i know you go to all the trade shows mm -hmm. you work with all the people like uh advancing the way and the latest technologies like what have you seen that's really cool that's coming that you know we may not think about now but that um is coming in the future yeah i think you know most of most everything that, that you kind of see out there is all about just kind of increasing accessibility so mm -hmm. it's um you know whether it's kind of on the commercial front for you know automatic pizza ovens that kind of builds the whole pizza cooks it and, and sells it mm -hmm. um you know which is always really interesting and there's all of that automation um, and then there's things like, uh, you know, thermal mix and you're seeing sous vide circulators and combi ovens and all these different tools. Like it's, it just makes all of this, you know, really good food accessible, which, you know, and even like Heston Q's kind of view on all of this, it's not about just kind of throwing technology in the kitchen for the sake of throwing technology in there. It's about giving people real solutions so they can kind of nurture and, and, and eat better food. Um, and so a lot of it's kind of driven towards that. Of course, there's like the, the robots in the kitchen, which, you know, I'm not sure. I, like, I, I don't have an opinion either way. It's definitely interesting. Um, I do get nervous about like a robot going rogue with like a chef's knife in its hand. I don't, it seems dangerous, but we'll see. Right. Well, I mean, I think the idea of um, technology, like we don't really think about it so much, but like, you know, like just like those maybe the first things happen like in commercial kitchens but you see that technology um coming to home kitchens like everyone's all about the what the air fryer is that what it is like the air fryer is yeah. essentially like some other version of same like the combi oven like mm -hmm. you know it used to be that the combi the combi oven being like steam you can inject steam into your oven and like you fancy bread ovens that do that too like all these technologies are being um developed into home appliances so you see so what might seem a little crazy like you know why would i ever need that it's making these um ovens and cooktops and ranges all the more sophisticated for home cooks and you may not appreciate it until the fact that you try go to use it and you just get better results right yeah and i think that's a, a, the, the sign or signature of like really good technology is when it's seamless you know like we kind of like your phone you get on there and you can go on uber and two minutes later somebody just picks you up like you're not yeah. thinking about all of the programming and everything that's going on behind the scenes it's just nice to get out there and get your ride to wherever you're going right um, and so i think that's kind of you know the kitchen's kind of one of the last places that you're starting to see technology kind of start to to move forward in um and, and i think there's a lot of reasons behind that like i think people are emotionally connected to their kitchen and you know, their cookware, if it's the cast iron or the Lake Crusade, it's been handed down from, you know, one generation to the other. So it's people are a little bit hesitant to jump in. Um, but I think we're starting to see things start to really move forward and people are adopting this technology because they do see the, the inherent benefits of it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years. Well, I'm going to leave my Heston Q to my grandbabies. I'm going to put that in my will. And so this is an artifact. <laughs> that's right that, that's Grandma. before 
That's <laughs> before everybody. An early adopter. <laughs> right. When people, when people were still cooking with uh, low, medium and high. <laughs> right. See, you know, your grandma was, she knew what she was doing. And this is a, you save this one, save this one for the archives. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about induction, though, because I get a lot of questions about that because, you know, Heston, they use an induction cooktop, you know, that's all part of the system. But in general, it's they're using induction, which is always like people will I get random questions of I'm going to buy a stove. What should I get? And, you know, there's what you want gas or what do you like better? I mean, um, I mean, talk about induction. There's people are still I mean, in Europe, most people use induction and the mm -hmm. U.S kind of like we're like the it's like the imperial the imperial system versus the metric system we're going to hang tight to uh, what we know yeah people definitely love their gas and you know i get it like most of my career was spent using gas whether it was a french top or you know open flame um you know we went with induction for several reasons i think you know the the great thing with induction is it's extremely efficient so mm -hmm. You know, with gas, basically you lose over 50% of what we'll call the heating energy of, of the, the gas stove. Um, a lot of that's going out into the, to the, just the ambient air. Um, it's not going directly into your cookware, so it takes longer to heat things up. And it also mm -hmm. makes your kitchen hot. With induction, you know, you're almost at like 95% of that heating energy is going directly to where you want it to. And that's into your cookware. So you don't have, you're not overheating your kitchen. Um, you're able to get to temperature much faster. You know, if you want to bring a pot of water up to boil, like there's no quicker way than using induction. Um, and so there was that whole piece of it that was appealing to us. And then the other part was just how responsive it is. Um, and the level of kind of, we have this very like high level of control um, with induction, which, you know, is, is harder to accomplish with gas. Um, but it is something that can be done. Um, but, you know, it allows us to go from pan searing scallops to, you know, one minute later, we're making a Blanc, which is like super temperature sensitive. So we need to be able to go from 450 degrees down to 205 degrees within like a minute. And so between the composition of our cookware and then the responsivity of the induction cooktop, we're mm -hmm. able to do that. Um, I have I cook with gas at home though. <laughs> no, I, I I hear you. It's um, you know I think it's been around for a long time. Um, again, I think there's just a lot of misnomers around it. You know, um, it was kind of like the it was kind of like the microwave for a long time. Yeah, you know, I, totally, I get induction. So when people ask me, oh, you know, what do you recommend and stuff like that, and I say, you know. Induction is the most efficient heat source. It is the most yeah. responsive. It is the most. Yeah, I, I give them the whole thing, and they say, "Well, what do you have?" And I say, "I have gas." <laughs> They're like, "What?" After all that, and I was like, "I'm, you know, what I, I like, and I totally get the reason why, especially for what you're doing, why induction is the way to go." But you know, there is that kind of with gas. You see that you you get the you. I miss the visual cue. Like you can see the flame. See the flame go up see the flame go down, you know? So then when you're cooking, like it's very, I mean, that's. And I think part of it it's too. It's a caveman like, in me, cave woman, whatever. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I was just going to say. Like, I think we're kind of preconditioned to like being attracted to fire, right? Like it's always been like the sign of food and warmth and all those things. So it makes sense. Um, 
But yes, but I, I you know, think you're right. The in, well, I know you're right. Induction is the most efficient, effective overall heat source. So, yeah, if you if you don't care about seeing that flame, but I saw you know I, I was at one of the train show, trade shows and I saw an induction stove and they had like like lights that would light up. So as you uh -huh. turn the heat on the induction, like it would light up, like you, it gives you like this visual cue of like the flames. So it's like, they're like false flames, but, um, but it was, it understood that people were missing that kind of visual cue, you know? So. Right. Right. Yeah. I hear you. It's a, it's a battle that we're, we're, we're fighting and it's, you know, we're starting to see the pieces move forward. Um, you know, Europe, like a, a big part of it there is they tend to have smaller kitchens. So mm -hmm. these are a bit sleeker. Um, and they're, I think, more just ahead of the curve on some of the technology a bit. Um, yeah. So we're, we're starting to see things turn around. You're starting to see, you know, one of our partners is um, GE. So we're integrated into their monogram, cafe, and profile lines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're starting to see a lot of movement, you know, from their side, they're, they're really starting to push the induction on um, right. technology as well. I know. So it's, it's moving. It's just, uh, it's taking some time. It's moving, you know, it's, you know, you gotta embrace the technology. It used to be that like, even people were afraid of microwaves too. Remember people used to like, <laughs> even when I was growing up, we turn on the microwave and then we'd stand back just cause yeah. we didn't, I, don't know, the, I don't know, the gamma rays or whatever. <laughs> like you don't want to, you put this stuff in the microwave. Then even now, like, I don't even know if it's true. Cause you know, microwaves are so sophisticated now. Like my kids, right. my kids make um, the light in my microwave has been out forever. And I just don't even bother to fix it. Cause we only do a few things in the microwave, make popcorn and melt butter or whatever. And uh, they, they get too close. I'm like, back away, children. Like, I don't, <laughs> if, if anything, like they're going to get anything, but I was, it's my, it's my thing. Like get, get back away. It's part of that technology. I understand that people are kind of afraid of things they can't see. Right. Yeah. A little bit of that with induction is you can't see it. So you don't really know, like, I'm, like, you know, like if, if I get too close to it, will something happen? Like if I, you know, like what's right. happening? Magnets, right? <laughs> Good questions. About yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's just like, you know, and there's all kinds of misnomers about induction kind of similar to the microwave where everybody thought it you know, causes cancer or you're getting zapped with <laughs> gamma rays or whatever they thought was going to happen. Um, and they just become pretty popular. And so that's what people think. And it's really hard to move people once they're afraid of something. Um, yeah. I predict yeah, definitely interesting. We'll all be cooking cool. on induction, you know. They'll come up with some like crazy way where it's like an illusion, almost like, you know, like in Star Wars or whatever, where you see like Princess Leia pop up, like you'll see the flames pop up behind. You know, right. Like, right. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's interesting, too, is and obviously I'm in California, so it's not reflective of the whole country. But, you know, in the Bay Area, you're starting to see more and more, more and more kind of. Um, regulation is in terms of like gas going into new homes mm -hmm. so a lot of them are going all electric um, and so really leaning into induction um, because honestly like between radiant induction induction is just much better no like radiance pretty pretty rough yeah um, I would so i think to... and I'm, we'll see how that goes um, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical um, what do you have people... at home? Uh, so i have an apartment and i have those crappy radiant electric coils. Yeah, the and coils. So, yeah, and it's like I cook in a beautiful kitchen all day, um, or I work in a beautiful kitchen rather. I, I busy doing lots of different things, but 
it's like you do that like come from the kitchen where we like it's our test kitchen our studio we have every tool known to man and then i get into my apartment and like look at my kitchen and you just kind of want to turn around and walk back out the door because it's just it's not the same what's the last thing you made in your kitchen um the last thing i made i probably sent not not at the not yeah so one of my favorite cuts of beef is flat iron and they had it at the grocery store, but the way that that cuts made, basically there's a big vein of, of connective tissue that runs down the center. And so instead of cutting it into two steaks, they just butterflied it. So mm-hmm. I had like this huge butterfly flat iron. Um, so I stuffed it with like onions and garlic and butter and then kind of made like a roulade. Uh-huh. And, and ate that. It was really good. Yeah. You cooked it. You had a pan. Yeah. You so you rolled it up. You fit, stuffed it, and you rolled it. You baked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it so I seared, seared it and then threw it in the oven. What's uh, that? What was what did you roll it with? So I just did. Um, I filled it with like scallions and butter and garlic um, on the inside and some thyme, mm-hmm. and then just tied it up and seared it and threw it in a low oven. And it came out pretty good. It was, uh, it was not what I was intending to do. I just wanted to have a steak, but they kind of uh, butchered the, the butchering job on it. So, Right. Well, you made it work then. Uh, yeah. I have to say, you know, um, I think about some nicely cooked meat, and I there was a holiday staff meal that you needed for a photo shoot. And you, I think you made, I think it was you who made the most glorious ham I've ever seen. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah glistening golden like it was just such sure. a beautiful ham what was that what was that that you made um probably like a bourbon and brown sugar glaze is usually like my go-to maybe like yeah. some orange juice in there and a little bit of soy sauce is kind of my kind of my ham trick um it's like the but, southern meets a little touch of hawaii <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit of that and it's you know like it also starts out with like having good product i think that ham came from like snake river farms or something like that so yeah. it, it you don't have to do too much and it just already looks really really it nice was, it was just so glorious like perfectly cooked but just you know i don't know, it was like every single because you had it scored and every single score mark was like perfectly like brown <laughs> <laughs> like staring at it going i have yet you know and it wasn't even styled like for photos you see food that's styled for photos where it's like there's a lot of work put into making it look pretty whereas this just just came out of the oven and it looked like the most glorious piece of, piece of meat ever so. right. <laughs> yeah well thank you well you see it's i'm, I'm still thinking about it like that because it's like <laughs> holy cow like that was such a nice piece of meat um i also remember you being um you doing desserts and always being able to kind of finish them and decorate them in such a nice way, which was so funny to me because I think of you as like being kind of a guy's guy and a guy chef, whatever. And sure. no one can make a, a daintier dessert than you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I uh, you know, I like the creative side of cooking and I think, um, you know, the first thing is you got to have like sound fundamentals. Right. And that, I think the problem into like if there is one in today's kind of culinary world is like a lot of young cooks, all they want to do is make food look pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you've got to really kind of understand the fundamentals. And honestly, like when something's properly cooked or prepared, it already looks pretty good. Like yeah. if, if you sear a steak, there's not much you have to do to it. Like that ham. Yeah. <laughs> you just put it in the oven, right? So 
I stood there and I basically got my camera and I'd be like, oh, look at that. Like, you know, it just right. it was glowing, like glistening and radiating like unctuousness and whatever. But yeah, I would I I was just always enjoyed watching you um put little flowers and fruits on your dessert. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. so you, you 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 eat with your uh, eyes first. So it's uh yeah, I always like kind of getting into there and especially with desserts. Because most of the time, it doesn't matter what temperature you serve it at, so I can kind of right. take your take your sweet time. What's your favorite dessert? I don't know this about you. Okay, so it's um, I'm a really big cookie guy and uh, donuts. So <laughs> okay, let's get specific now. What kind of cookie? What kind of donut? Yeah. So probably my favorite. Like I like a really nice like chocolate chip or like white chocolate macadamia nut cookie. Uh-huh. But like, I like them where they're crispy, kind of on the outside, but still like pretty gooey on the inside. Uh huh. And then a donut, like a ultra fluffy, just plain glazed donut, no frills, just like the it. classic donut, right? Yeah. Yep. That exactly. You know what? Me too. I yeah. love donuts too. And about I would say nine out of ten donuts I eat are not that great. It's kind of disappointing. It's one of those things where I, when it's and they, it doesn't really have to be fancy, but mm-hmm. it has to be super fresh is the thing. Yes. Like yeah. I try to explain to people like donuts have a very short shelf life. Like my kids just yesterday, like um, after dinner, they wanted to go get donuts. And I said, that's fine. That's that's your dessert, right? And I already knew that that donut was probably make, made during the day, right? It's already past its prime nonetheless. And then they wanted to save it for breakfast. I was like... You know, and of course, I the mom, I should be like, okay, brush your yep. teeth, go to bed. And I was like, eat the donut now. Eat it in its prime. Don't wait. Yeah. It's going to be stale. You know, of course, they did, but everything. But I think yep. people don't realize that, I mean, you got to eat a donut pretty fast. And that's part of the reason why I don't make donuts at home, because I don't want to I don't want to make for the amount of effort that it takes to make a good donut. Uh, I don't want to eat two dozen donuts in the span of three hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where it gets scary for me because, like, it's a real problem for me. It's like cookies and donuts. Um, I, I have a, like, it's hard for me to stop once I get started. Because you respect the fact that it has a shelf life and you got to eat it in its prime. You're not going to save that cookie. Like, you got to eat it, bake it, and eat it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You might be giving me too much credit there. It's a, I, I just, uh, you know, when we were doing um, donut testing for a recipe we we're putting together here, like, at one point, like I ate six donuts and <laughs> within like an hour and I didn't even realize I was doing it. And so, uh, Aldana, who I work with in the kitchen was just like, are you going to stop doing that? Like it's a little bit excessive. So <laughs> she uh, called you out on that, but you know, you're testing it. You're like, you know, the first time you eat one, you're just purely like, Oh, that's so good. Right. You're just eating it for the enjoyment. Second one. You're like, you know, you're evaluating the texture and the flavor, whatever. Third mm-hmm. one. You're like, maybe like looking at, did we do this? You know, is text is size, right? Do we need to make them bigger or smaller? <laughs> so each yeah. time you're like doing a different critique. You're like looking at it from a different level. So. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, when you have a bad donut, like it's a pretty big bummer. Like I feel like somebody <sighs> like kicked my dog or something like it. <laughs> oh, it's so, and you can kind of tell even when you look at it, like I, I feel the same way. Like when I see pie and stuff like that, I talked about this on another show. It's like when you see the pie and you can tell that it's not homemade, like it's a stamped out crust or whatever, you kind of, you know, you have to lower your expectations, but mm-hmm. 
I feel like when you say like that simple donut, you know, just that plain glaze, whatever, I feel like that is the benchmark for a good donut because you can get all sorts of crazy, it's like distractions with like fancy glazes or crazy fillings and stuff like that garnishes it's like that's just a distraction from the fact that maybe like the donut itself is not excellent like a you need yeah. to have that classic donut simple and if that is good then you can add all the fancy whatever that you want but you have that i always test that out too that's why i always get like the plain yeah. first and see how yeah. it if it's a good then it's like i might try their you know bourbon blueberry whatever you know so right Right. Yeah. yeah, all the frills are, are fun um, down the line. But yeah, it's like that that first one. And like, it's a really good glaze. Like, basically, you could eat it in three bites because it's just so light. And it just kind of like compresses into nothing. Um, yeah, you shove it all in your mouth. Just open wide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, gets, it gets ugly in a hurry for me because I'm just like, well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I forgot that you had a sweet tooth. Well, good for you. I appreciate people who like desserts. And then um, do you have a favorite tool? I know that you, I mean, you work with all these kitchen tools, but like, you know, this, let's say a low tech, something old school. Tool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, probably my, my favorite tools are um, like, besides having like a nice, like a good knife, doesn't mean expensive, just like a nice sturdy knife um a pass card or bench scraper but basically something that helps you scoop up your food people call them all different kinds of things um but a nice pass card an offset spatula and like a nice just kind of kitchen spoon are yeah. really the my my go-to things um right. I, i'm used to using an offset spatula for everything so like a little know, one yeah so like working it's my favorite <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, working for Chef Keller, really, you know, we, it's not that we weren't allowed to use tongs. We just never used tongs. So <laughs> it was always, you know, your spoon, your offset, um, and that kind of, those were your tools to do everything. Because a tong is like so brutal. It's like, you know, you can damage your meat or whatever, or whatever. You're like, just grab them, right? Whereas like, if you're yeah. using a spoon or an offset, you're, you're gently picking it up and placing it where it needs to go. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of times people are really hard on food. Um, it's like, I like to think of it like, you know, have a delicate touch with it. Like it's didn't do anything to you. There's no reason to manhandle it or slap it or squeeze it. Like right. just kind of be respectful. I don't want to sound too, too weird, but yeah. yeah. So, so using those tools kind of help you do that. You're just much more gentler. You're yeah. Also, you're more careful when you're much closer to the oil and things like that. You're just more aware of what you're doing. Yeah. Do you have one of those fancy chef spoons? I feel like every chef in their knife kit has like a big, like fancy spoon that they use for like saucing and everything else. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. I have too many spoons. Like we have too many spoons in our kitchen here um, just because like we'll see one we like and we pick it up, whether it's a coon spoon or whatever it is. Like we got them all. Um, yeah. And there's something to it. Like because especially like in the restaurant, you're, you're using those tools all day long. So you kind of just, they become like an extension of your, your hand. Right. So Everyone it's important to like it. Yeah. I remember I, uh, 
when I left, I used to work at um, Boulay Bakery in um, New York City, I, <laughs> David Boulay's restaurant, and I used to make uh, canals for their, you know, mm-hmm. desserts all the time. And I had a, I had um, this spoon that I particularly liked that was is actually uh, part of their service spoons. It was like a large kind of soup spoon, but it was kind of a mm-hmm. spoon, and it made a perfect, really um, plump uh, uh, <laughs> canal, you know, of ice cream. Uh-huh. When I left, I stole two spoons. <laughs> it's like I would never steal anything, but I, I kind of just, I felt like I earned those two spoons and they went in my knife case. And I, to this day, I still have them. And there, I will, every now and then, I'll just see if I still have it. I'll get my ice cream and do, 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 make a little canal, just, you know, see if I have it. But I got to do it with that spoon. I can only do it with that spoon. <laughs> it's hard to find a good canal spoon. Um, once you have one, I, I hear you. You kind of have to keep a hold of it because. <laughs> It's, it's critical to have the right spoon for doing that. I know. And then you see all the chefs. Are you one of those like two spoon things or are you a single spoon? <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, it depends on what it is, right? So like if you're doing like a canal of like, I don't know, salmon tartare or something, you kind of need to use the two spoons. But right. like if it's like, you know, whipped cream fresh or, you know, ice cream or things like that, just, just the one spoon. And you right. just kind of, and it's also like super, I don't know if like it pops up on your feed, but like. I have a bunch of different like chefs feeds and cooks feeds and like uh-huh. I'll watch those videos all day long. It oh, doesn't matter. Rising, right? Where they'll just yeah. like like 200 in a row and each one is like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. The yeah. I like Absolutely. That's like the, um, that's like people who cook. That's that, that's our ASMR kind of video things. Like they like to watch like it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, pretty kind of just get lost in it, just watching it. Cause it's just such a smooth motion. And it also, it looks beautiful when you're done with it. So, so. Right. And beverage, what's your favorite beverage? I know. Uh, I remember uh, going to dinner and always, all the dudes would always order really nice cocktails, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I definitely like my my cocktails and beer. Um, if we're talking about cocktails, it's always a bourbon cocktail. I, I'm not super original in that. Like I, I like a good bourbon. Um, like uh-huh. a good old fashioned, just bourbon on the rocks is good with me. Um, yeah. And then obviously wine, uh, just because of where I'm at. Uh, like like to enjoy the wine for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a beer and bourbon kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and w- remind me, um, <laughs> so one of the things I was telling somebody about you is you were so good at doing impersonations of everybody in our office. <laughs> it ah. was so fun. So when we go out to dinner, we always had to get a few drinks in you because you would do, uh, you basically, uh, we're so good at impersonating everybody. It won't be funny to everybody because you have to know these people, you know, but, um, but you would also do like your dad, <laughs> which you have never met, but yeah. What part of your family is from the south, <laughs> or so on the other side of the family? Like what? What part? Yeah. So my dad's family is all from Oklahoma, and my mom's family is all from Texas. Um, um, so I kind of, well, mostly kind of South Midwest kind of thing going on. Um, right. Yeah, and the accents like I've done it since I was a little kid. I don't <laughs> like uh, when um, Ace Ventura came out. Right. I, I was my I was a kind of a handful for my mom like just kind of reproducing everything that he was doing in that movie. Right. 
<laughs> well, I hope I hope that I hope you have more uh, people in the office to make fun of because that was like the best part. If you can't make fun of your coworkers, what's the what's the point, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if there was a hundred or if there was one; it's still going to happen, nonetheless. <laughs> yes, sure. I know, I know. So, what are you guys working on now? Is there any uh, new technologies uh, coming down or in development? Yeah. So the the big thing that we're kind of working on now is. Um, kind of our international internationalization. So, you know, um, looking at Japan later this year, uh, Europe here in the next few months. Um, so starting to really expand there. And then just looking kind of at our product line and, you know, where we think we can, you know, where, where we're missing some things and um, as far as cookware or accessories and things like that. So kind of focusing on that. But the big part's the internationalization, which we're really excited about. My favorite thing to do was to just um, throw out recipes for you to develop. So it's like you say Japan, yeah. like, don't go to uh, yeah. uh, tempura. You know, it's like yeah. All these, yeah. All these things Absolutely. that require like precise temperature, where it's like people, where it's very easy for it to be just okay, mediocre, but yeah. it's all these things can be like exceptional when executed properly, right? So exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of fun for us. Um, you know, most of our experience is kind of a lot of French cuisine. You know, I've kind of got some of the Pan Pacific stuff from my time in Hawaii. And then for me, like, you know, I was worked at a couple of Mexican restaurants and that was kind of what I started out in. Um, so it's really fun working with like, you know, some chefs in Italy and chefs in Japan and kind of localizing like, you know, our carbonara recipe that we have in the app right now would make an Italian grandmother like roll in a grape because it's not like we've got cream in there and things like that. And mainly, mainly that just makes the recipe a little bit forgiving. Yeah. Um, but, you know, looking at, all right, we have to make like very traditional, you know, cacio e pepe. And you go to Italy and these Italians open up at the app and they'll be like, I don't know what, I don't know how they swear in Italian, but that's the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, you know, that's that's a lot of fun for us, um, and that's kind of one of the the cool things about the position you know myself and the chefs here are in is that we're you know if we were in a restaurant we it'd be hard for us to be able to always expand as far as what cuisines and exploring and having the time to kind of dive in there. So this is a lot of fun. Um, that that whole part of it's really fun for us. Yeah. Well, when you're ready for this, some Korean recipes, let me know some kimchi jjigae in your chef's pot here we go <laughs> yeah yeah um so that would be awesome and we'll take you up on that because that's <laughs> napa's great but there's zero and i'm sorry if i offend anybody that but there's not very much if any good asian food here uh, yeah like it's a it's a it's a real a real problem if like, you can say um, that it's just true <laughs> there's very little yeah problem. yeah and it's but not a know, lot of ethnic diversity in the napa area <laughs> no no it's you know it, everything's farm fresh and farm to table which at this point i feel like it kind of goes without saying but um yeah so like getting some good asian food into to the qf would be great and korean food particularly um otherwise like i have to keep going to oakland if i want to get korean food or go into the city so um, yes well, I'm sure whatever you create will be absolutely delicious. And then uh, <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Sure, and then what, sure. um, I was going to say, like, 
when you were growing up, I just have to ask before we leave, because we always, I always try to leave on some childhood memories. When you were little, what was your favorite thing to eat? Like, what did you like? What was it like you, when you were like your birthday meal? Like, like, oh, and what would you like for your birthday? Like, did you have like a special meal that you really loved? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, my mom doesn't like to cook, and the, she knows this. She like it's just not her thing. So she didn't like to do a lot of cooking. She said that kind of like I learned how to cook out of necessity. Right. Um, I think you know, as a kid, like. Probably my grandmother's house. She used to do, and it was kind of it was either this or my mom's sandwiches, which sounds funny. But she would do like a pan fried pork chop, and then she'd make like this white gravy, and basically put what that on white bread and just cover it with the gravy. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that's like and, that's like mother pork chop or something like that. Yeah, it's that's exactly what it is. Was it like kind of like uh, what do you call it, country gravy? Yep. Almost yeah. So, or yep. I guess yeah, it, I can yeah, taste. Exactly. It sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, and it was always like Wonder Bread, and then like the fried pork chop, and then she would just throw a little bit of flour and milk in the pan after she fried the pork chop, and then a bunch of black pepper, uh-huh. and it was pretty good, pretty good. And then this sounds funny, and it's it's I'm totally serious. My mom to this day makes the best sandwiches. I it sounds weird. But like, they're pretty amazing. And even like, what? if I go home, like, what's in her? Sa- they're just all. It's like the all category sandwiches, mom sandwiches, or is it like does she make yeah. particular kinds of sandwiches? <laughs> no, she makes like it's generally the same. Um, uh-huh. The meat might change, but and it's not anything special. And maybe it's just because she's my mom. But generally, it's like she shreds the lettuce. Uh huh. She puts Italian dressing that she just buys at the store but uh-huh. i think the secret there is the um celery salt oh celery it's, salt. yeah like when i was in college and i would come home she would you know what do you want for dinner like i'll order something or what do you want and there's always the sandwiches and so that's still still to this day that's like it's one of my favorite things to eat as well like it's a very good sandwich well she, I goes, all, she goes all out well, you know what they say? They say a sandwich is always better when someone else makes it. So that's probably true. And then you have your mom yeah. on that. And yeah. then you have celery salt, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I've never. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, she puts like, she always gets pretty good tomatoes or sometimes mm-hmm. she'll grow her own tomatoes and like the celery salt on top of the tomatoes is what makes it. And I don't know, there's something else going on there. Cause like, um, my fiance will try to replicate and she's a chef as well, and it's just not the same. So, not the same. I think it's uh, the mother's touch a little bit. Yeah, she's got that special something. Well, the, um, she should show you at some point. I do believe that um, she doesn't. Te- she should keep. She should hang on to that secret for as long as possible. But sure. it should not end the earth with like her. You know, not know without you not knowing because you got to pass it on. So yeah, yeah. I want to keep it a mystery for now, and I, I think for her it's like. I kind of tease her about her cooking, um, yeah. even with the cute. She just like doesn't. It's just not something she enjoys. And so, uh, the sandwich, like she gets excited that I get excited yeah. about eating her sandwiches. So it's good. She's got, some, she's got something that not you, with all your culinary training and fancy, fancy accolades, can't make. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Can't figure out exactly what it is either. That's right. That's right. 
So good for her. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, she she did a good job raising you because what a gentleman you are and how smart you are and what excellent cook you are. Because <laughs> I uh, have always admired the work that you do. And I open up that app sometimes and I just watch the videos just to get a good laugh because I know I know the person behind them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate it and I appreciate you having me on and it's it's always great catching up with you. And like I, I was saying before we started, you know, living the Judy Ann lifestyle. <laughs> that's the goal. So um, thank you, you so much. Come to Portland and we will eat. Remember, that's always a thing. Yes. Come up. Let's do some serious eating. Yes, <laughs> I got a I got a bucket list of uh, restaurants I want to go to up there, so we'll have Excellent. to make that happen. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on, everybody. If you want to learn more about this new technology, and I say new, but it's you know it's here, it's here, and it's changing, and pretty soon, whether you want it to or not, it's going to change the way people cook. Um, check thank out. You. Um, and then download the app, take a look at the recipes and see what they're all about. You might be surprised.